0: This is episode 79 of the Kindred Mom Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Sue Allen. Hi there. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Kindred Mom Podcast. I am so glad that you're here, and our Kindred Mom team would love to be connected with you beyond this podcast today. And so we're inviting you over to kindredmom.com to check out our most recent series, The Ages and Stages of Childhood. And hopefully subscribe to our email newsletter. We've been sending it out about once a week. And it includes a little note from someone on our team. Usually me, but not always. And there are also usually included links to the recent things we've been sharing on the blog and podcast. On Instagram and other things that we find throughout the week that we think might be of use to moms. Who are up to their eyeballs in children just like me. If that interests you, please head over and subscribe. And we will send you the next one that goes out. Today's conversation includes Mary Kate Brown and Lindsay Cornett and we are talking about leadership in motherhood and how to apply principles of leadership that we might find in a workplace or other organizations to what we're doing here in our homes and casting a vision for our kids so that they know what's coming next and how they can get on board with what it is that we're doing. It's a really great conversation and I hope it gives you some great ideas to implement in your own home as you march forward through this quarantine season. We're so grateful that you're here today and would love to connect with you more. Thanks so much for listening and let's dive right in. Well today we are going to be talking about leadership in motherhood and I have Mary Kate Brown and Lindsay Cornett joining me for the show today. So ladies, welcome. Hey, Emily, good to be here with you. Hi, friends. Well, as usual, I very much enjoy the conversations that we have. And so I'm glad to have you guys here to talk about this idea that I call it leadership parenting, but we'll obviously kind of zero in on motherhood. And I just think there are a lot of ideas that are written in books and on blogs and on podcasts uh, about good leadership and what that looks like. And I think that being a leader in our homes is a really big part of having success, passing on, you know, things that we want our kids to learn in the realm of, you know, healthy patterns and good habits. And there are some things that really work well as we try to do that. And there are some things that don't. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. um, as we get started, I would love to just pick your brains a little bit about what good leadership looks
1: like to you. Yeah, it's a big question. It's a good question. I have been thinking a lot about the jobs that I held before I switched gears to being a stay at home mom. And I had two. One was teaching in public school, and one was in children's ministry. Um, Mm -hmm. Not thinking about, you know, the jobs I held in high school and college or whatever, which were sort of your random assortment of retail, (laughs) whatever, but more like what I did for my (laughs) career, I guess, as an adult. And one of the biggest things that came to mind for me was the idea of vision and mission. Mm -hmm. Because when I was teaching in a public school, it always felt like I have this sense of what I want to do. I have this ideal situation that I'm striving for. And there was always so much kind of fighting against it. Mm -hmm. Um, Whether that was like not being on the same page as the administration or it might have been like mandates that were coming down from the different government entities, you know, and that sort of thing. And that was really really hard. And then when I switched to working in a church, it felt so good to have a really clear mission and vision. Mm-hmm. Um everyone who was there knew what we were all about and what was most important. And it just made for a totally different environment. Mm -hmm. And I think about that a lot parenting, like just the importance of my husband and I being on the same page, knowing what really matters and is important and figuring out how to include our kiddos in that conversation, even though they're still young. Yeah,
0: no, I completely agree with that. And I love the concept of vision, probably because I'm a very visionary person. And I feel like I spend a lot of time thinking about the big picture details. And part of having a big family (laughs) has meant that I've had to learn by being in the trenches that I have to get everybody in the house on board with what we're doing and where we're going because I cannot actually practically physically make them all comply with directions if they don't understand what we're doing or why we're doing it. So I have to be really invested in helping them understand the big picture version of what's, especially our day is going to include so that when I'm giving them smaller details that they need to track with, they understand how it fits in the bigger picture. And so I love that you brought that up because I think it's a really big part of having a successful day. And especially when you have multiple kids or are on the move or any number of, you know, logistical things that can come into play with needing to communicate. So I love that.
2: And Emily, I definitely hear what you're saying with like being able to communicate that vision and like, this is the task at hand for our day. This is what we need to do and getting every member of your family on the same page as you. Um, But I have to ask both of you, I've heard a lot of talk in church and among just different circles about casting like vision for your family. And I wonder if that's something you guys have talked about with your husbands, your children, your families.
0: I would say that we haven't talked about it outright. Uh, We do have check-ins every now and then. Like just yesterday, we were on a walk together with just the baby and the kids were at home watching movies. And we just had to kind of retool how things are going around here since we're in quarantine season and we have a small space and a lot of needs and people who handle the reality of where we're at in different ways. And some days have gone really well, other days have not gone as well. And so we just had to have a check-in with, okay, what's working right now and what's not. And then Mm. inevitably out of that conversation, I feel like it's my job in our house, at least to translate and cast that vision for the kids, because I am the one who is more of a verbal communicator and also is really tuned into the details of what the kids need to know about what we're doing differently going forward.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Makes sense. A few years ago, Evan and I attended a parenting seminar at our church in Grand Rapids, and it was led by this couple, Mark and Lisa Scandrett. They have a book called Belonging and Becoming, Creating a Thriving Family Culture. And they talked a lot about this idea of creating like a family vision and a family mission. And I really loved it. And we Mm. kind of talked a little bit after that about what's kind of the most important What do we want our kids to know? And we sort of landed on this little mantra sort of that we, honestly, we don't even talk about it with our kids that much at this point. They're little, but it's always in my head. And that Mm -hmm. was to love God, love each other, love our neighbor, love learning and love the world. So I just kind of think about that sometimes when we're making decisions or When I'm dreaming, I'm always dreaming about like what's it going to be like when my kids are older, when they are teenagers or when they are adults and maybe they're coming back home with their own families. Like I Mm -hmm. kind of just keep that idea in my head because it can get overwhelming to just exist in the diaper changing and the snack providing and the sweeping up the floor and just all of those little details, at least they really overwhelm me sometimes and they can sack my joy and that sort of thing. If I'm not careful, but I just really, it is something I pray about a lot. It's something I always am thinking about. Like what is the end goal? You know, if I'm thinking about this, this family that we are creating, not just in this moment, but like for generations to come, like what do I want that to look like? And so Mm -hmm. I'm always just kind of, keeping that in mind. It's, it's not like we are sitting around the dinner table together all chanting our family mission statement or anything mm-hmm. like that. But it's just something that I'm always keeping in the back of my head. And it's something that as my kids continue to grow, we'll probably talk about more um, and in more concrete terms. But for me, it just helps me keep my eye on the prize, so to speak. Yeah.
0: How about you, Mary-Kate? Do you guys have a family mission statement <laughs> or some kind of overarching vision?
2: Yeah, well, I can't say that we have any type of official vision statement, or we haven't even talked about like that short and cute little like thing that you said, Lindsay. I love it, like to love each other and to love (laughs) our neighbors, and I think that's so great. And I think that that can just be really like a great reminder in the midst of the day to day mundane. So we don't have anything like that, but we have talked a lot, my husband Brian and I, and we even talk about it with our kids. They are four and six and seven now. So they are young, but I still feel like they're old enough to get it. Just what our really deep values are. And I wish I could wrap it up in a box with a cute little bow. But I think long story short, we just really feel so strongly just based on our own life experiences that God designed us um, to live in this beautiful symbiotic relationship with him and with our, our community and with the planet and it's not a way that we were raised to be intentional about those things but we just really desire to kind of get back to what we believe like was his design at creation for us to live abundant healthy thriving lives um and mm-hmm. so our daily decisions that we make we try to focus around that like does this help our family thrive? Does this nourish our body? Is this going to be healing to the land that, you know, that we own, you know, we have such a heart to cultivate it and turn it into something fruitful, like a garden and, um, maybe animals one day. And so those are a lot of values that we have, um, just based on experiences. And that's something that we've been trying to instill in our kids, like cast that vision, um, because we just, It's just something we feel really passionate and strong about. And so like you're saying, Lindsay, looking at your family in the future and kind of what you imagine that to look like, we kind of do the same thing and, you know, not in a prideful way, but in a way that just feels like really exciting for us. We say, wow, like look at these things that we get to do for our kids, like the foundation we get to build for them, you know, and it's just Mm -hmm. really exciting for us. So we
1: don't have a statement yet, but maybe that's something we'll
2: think on. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
1: Well, and I'll say, Mary-Kate, from the outside looking in at your family, I think your values come through really clearly because you guys have... Reoriented your lives around them, you know, you just bought this house Which will give you lots of land to have a garden and all of these things, you know Like I can see just as your friend the intentional choices you and brian are making And mm-hmm. so I know your girls see that too, even if they can't articulate it so clearly now um, I know that one day, you know, they're gonna <laughs> They're gonna make those connections too sure. um,
0: Right?
2: Like I remember when you moved from our house in the suburbs out to the country in michigan <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, exactly Yeah <laughs> Exactly. So good. Well, I think that there are so many aspects of leadership that we could consider. I um, I was just going to put out there a list of things that are to me like obvious things that there are areas of leadership that might apply to motherhood. And then there are some less obvious ones that I'd love to bring up and continue our conversation with that. So the obvious ones, I put vision on that list, um, which we've already talked about. I put down modeling, teaching, support, follow through, and positive feedback. Um, those are things that I think I see in most uh, leadership roles that are in like a workplace environment, or if you're a teacher in a school, those are things that are all happening uh, with their students. And um, and then some of the less obvious things are connected to those, but a little bit more nuanced stuff. So The ones that I thought of, and I'm sure you guys can help me think of more, are having um, like with vision, if we have our eyes on the bigger picture, we also have to have flexibility in the moment, which I feel like is a really, really big part of motherhood (laughs) and um, reconciliation, um, learning how to offer honest apologies and be able to, you know, resolve conflicts, um, I think is something that is a really big part of motherhood that also can be done well and it can be done poorly. And then patients are seeing the potential in an employee or a student. And in our cases, as in our children, seeing what they are capable of, even if they don't themselves yet believe in them, their own ability to do it. um, I think that's a really important part of seeing and helping them along. And then capitalizing on opportunities to share wisdom with them or show them a new skill. Um, I feel like we have to be really attentive to see those opportunities when they show up. And I remember learning this from my friend Song, who was on the last podcast. Um, her mom it was a mom of six, and she was the first mom of many that I was in a closer relationship with. So I just felt like I was soaking up all of these bits of wisdom from her all the time when I spent time at their house. I wasn't really thinking about motherhood because at that time I was not married and I did not have children. But I'd kind of captured this vision of like, this is a beautiful family and I want to learn how does this happen? (laughs) You know, because if that is ever my life someday, which it has become, um, I just wanted to understand because it was such a different experience than my own Growing up, and um, she just talked about like anytime you see any tiny bit of a light bulb go on in their minds to just capitalize on it and teach them a deeper principle, you know, to live by. And so I feel like sometimes we're really focused on the big, big things, and like we got to put this huge rock in the bucket, but sometimes the little pebbles actually are just as important. So and I have two more. Uh, I think. I call it attentive restraint, um, allowing kids to try new things and be able to make mistakes and try again with our oversight and encouragement. Um, Sometimes I don't allow my kids to do things because I don't want to deal with the mess. I don't want to deal with the. um, And so over time, I have learned how to maybe allow them to do things I wouldn't otherwise let them try. But not completely like just knock yourself out. Do make the biggest mess that you can imagine. It's more like, a, um, I'm going to be by your side and help coach you <laughs> so that the flower does not end up everywhere. Um, and then the last one is to inspire forward progress rather than push it. And so from all of those things, what do you guys want to say? Yeah, that's so many good things. And yeah, um,
2: One of the things that I relate to really strongly in my own parenting that you said was um, the seeing potential and maybe in a little bit different way than you were explaining. But Mm -hmm. I think for me, it's something that is always in the back of in the back of my mind is I'm always trying to reinforce to my children who they are and, Mm -hmm. you know, especially in conflict of any kind always reminding them like, this isn't who you are. Like you aren't the kind of person who makes that decision or who chooses to hit or kick her sister. You know, um, even today I had the conversation with them about their thoughts and the source of their thoughts and where they might come from. We were having a conversation about how you hear the voice of God. And, you know, I said, sometimes your thoughts are your own, but sometimes they're not. And, you know, if God created you, he's love, he creates things in love. And if you have a thought that's not loving, you know, Mm -hmm. towards somebody, do you think that thought is from you? Or do you think that thought is from the Holy spirit? And they were like, no, probably not. And so always reminding them like who they are and saying, you are this type of person, you are smart, you are strong, you are brave, Mm -hmm. you are kind and reinforcing that. Um, Mm -hmm. and it also reminds me of uh, a leadership book that I read a short while ago and it's called, um, Bringing Out the Best in People by Alan Lloyd McGinnis. And it was just such a powerful little section he wrote here where he talks about um, negative attitudes. It says, by assuming a negative attitude and reflecting back to people all the data about their weaknesses, you put them in touch with their faults and their behavior becomes worse. By assuming a positive attitude and concentrating on their strong aspects, you put them in contact with their good attributes and their behavior becomes better. And I find that is so true with children. So that's Mm -hmm. something I'm always reminding myself, like, tell them who they are, expect the best out of them. And over time, like you said, those little pebbles, they start to build up. You start to see that be cultivated.
1: I really love the connection you made, Emily, between patience and seeing potential. It's good for me to remember that being patient is not a passive thing. It doesn't involve just like sitting back and waiting for things to go the way you want them to, you know, Mm -hmm. but it's an active role that we take because our goal as parents, and I think this applies in leadership across the board, right? If you've got people kind of serving under you, most of the time, the goal is not simply to make the most efficient and productive little worker bees that you could possibly make, right? You're trying to develop people's skills. Mm -hmm. And that is so true in parenting. Like, yes, it is way simpler and more efficient for me to bake the muffins by myself or mm-hmm. to clean up the toys by myself and a lot less frustrating too. But I have an opportunity to see the potential in my children to learn these skills to one day be able to do them independently. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that requires a lot more patience on my part. Yeah. Um, but it's so important. It's important not only in developing my kids, but it's important in developing my own character too, I think. Absolutely. So I just really liked that that connection. Yeah.
0: Well, and I feel like it's pretty clear as we talk about these things, how leadership principles apply in motherhood situations. But I'm curious what you guys would say you think is important. Why do you think it is important for moms to see themselves as leaders and not just as mothers? Oh, man, I love that question.
1: I could get really fired up about it, in fact, um, but I'll try to keep it together. But in college, I started just to become really passionate about like women's leadership in general. Mm-hmm. And I think that motherhood is a transformative process, right? It affects every aspect of our lives, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, across the board. And personally... I have never experienced anything that has transformed my own character, my relationship with God, all of those things more than motherhood has. And the children in our homes are, I mean, there's no, it's so cheesy to say it this way, but they're the future, right? Like I look out at the world sometimes and it feels, the problems feel enormous, you know? And it is so good for me to remember to zoom in a little bit on the people in my own home, you know, and to, in their hearts, in their lives, help them to cultivate what we need most in the world, you Mm -hmm. know, which are, you know, it's the fruits of the spirit. It's the love of neighbor and enemy that Jesus taught. It's, it's all of these things. And we have more time with our children than anyone else is going to get with them. At this Mm -hmm. stage, at this crucial developmental stage, you know, like, yes, we send them to school, you know, they're only in church a couple hours a week, right? Like we Mm. just have such a great opportunity, just an immense opportunity to mold them into the people that the world needs, you know, it's such an honor. And yeah, it's leadership. It absolutely is leadership. Yeah,
2: I am right there with you, Lindsay. Like, just everything you're saying so deeply resonates with me. One book that I have read that has been so powerful for me is called Fashion's Terrain by Chris Vallison. There I go, dropping his name again, which I know I do a lot. Um, but he talks a lot about in that book the role of women. And for me, it has been really powerful. and one of the ways he frames, like, in across all those chapters is that Eve was created powerful. Like, she was created to, like, reign side by side with Adam. And together, Adam and Eve, man and woman, reflect, like, the goodness and the character of God. And if we don't, as women and as mothers, step into that role, Mm -hmm. like, part of the character of God that we reflect part of his glory is missing. Mm -hmm. And so we, we can get so caught up as mothers and just like the mundane, like just serving and, and doing and, and like not like, like doing what we do from a place of exhaustion and from a place of like, Oh, I have to do this, but really it is such an important role because like you said, the people that we are influencing, the people that we are raising, can literally and will literally change the world. They're going to be adults one day making yeah. big decisions, you know? And so I think just as as mothers, like, we have to step up into that place because it's just, it's just important for them. And it's just important that we reflect God's glory to them and show them what that looks like, you know, so yeah. that they can carry that on as adults.
0: Yeah, I feel like leadership, whether or not you see yourself as a leader, is an issue of whether or not you see yourself as responsible for something. And I think if you give someone the responsibility of parenting a child and don't also give them the skills and the vision for what it looks like to behave as a leader, to lead as a leader, it really just it kind of takes the foundation out from under your feet. You know, like you have nothing strong to lead in with if you're like if you're not the leader you know, of this situation, then I'll just hang back and let that unfold however it will. Someone else will take care of it. Or in our culture, I think, um, and this is not a commentary or a judgment on anyone's choices, but I think there are lots of ways that we try to outsource our leadership because we're not convinced that we are leaders. You know, like we're not convinced that it is our responsibility or our honor or whatever word you want to use there to. Teach our children all of these things. We think, oh, at church they will learn this, and at school they will learn that. And you know, like uh, it's not my job. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I think those things can be a beautiful part of what is invested in a child's life as they grow and develop. And they definitely need more people in their lives than just us. But I also think it's really important that we see our own role as a leadership role because that changes the way we approach it. That changes the way that we invest in them and. I think for me, this this shift came when I started homeschooling my kids because I did not ever want to be a homeschooling mom. I did not plan to be a homeschooling mom. I was like, send them off, get them out of my mm-hmm. hair because I need some space. <laughs> and with my first child, when she was about to begin school, I just wasn't quite ready to enroll her. And so I feel like it was God who led me through the steps to, and I don't think he directs everybody this way by any means, but just in my own story, uh, it was quite a big shift the first year that I homeschooled her. It was the first time that I was like, every single thing this child learns this year is on my shoulders. And prior to that, I was not the mom who was like, let's read five books before bed and let's do all these like cutting and drawing and, you know, like it's not like we did nothing. I mean, it wasn't like I was being a horrible mother, <laughs> but mm. I was not taking Real initiative in what she was learning before that point because I just didn't think it was my job. <laughs> and uh, then mm. it became my job because I made that decision to homeschool. And so Um, That's just one illustration of a change in the approach, Um, and it might be a totally different circumstance for other moms when they suddenly realize, I have a lot of power here, and we
1: need to steward that well. One thing that I have learned a lot from you, Emily, Mm -hmm. is just the value of knowing that like. I can trust myself like as their mother, it's not that I have nothing to learn. I have so much to learn. There's always areas where I can be growing and changing and learning new things and trying new systems or whatever, but also that like God chose me to be their mom. Mm -hmm. And I, I have those, you know, the Holy Spirit speaks to me, like you were saying, Mary Kate, and I do, I can trust my intuition as a mom and as a woman Mm -hmm. um, that I can trust that I know my children and that I'm equipped with what I need to parent them. That's something that I didn't don't think I understood early on in my parenting journey. I was really nervous all the time that I was mm-hmm. constantly going to make the wrong decision, you know, that every decision was black and white with a right or wrong answer. And there's a lot more nuance to parenting than that in a lot of cases. But also just that we don't always need to be looking elsewhere For the answer, you know, Mm -hmm. that sometimes Mm -hmm. we can just trust that we're making good decisions and that we know what to do for our kids, you know? Mm -hmm. It's not that we should be arrogant about it and not seek wisdom or anything like that, you know, but we know our kids, you know, and Mm -hmm. and they're in our families for a reason. And yeah, I've had to learn that I can I can trust myself, that I am Mm -hmm. called and capable to lead these kids, you know. Yeah,
2: that's something Emily has said to me too. I remember specifically one day driving down the country road, I think, to get back to my house on on a Voxer message. And she was getting all fiery and talking about how women are capable. We're capable. Mm -hmm. And I mean, a lot of times we we just feel like we're not. I mean, you remember what it felt like going home from the hospital with your first baby? Like, wait, wait, they're going home with me? And Mm -hmm. we learn so much as new parents. Like, that, mm-hmm. that first year, the first couple, whatever. I'm my, my oldest is seven. I'm still learning these things all the time. But my yeah. point is, is that to think like we're capable. We're capable of these things. It, like you said, Lindsay, it's great to seek wisdom. There is, It's a huge gift to have a community of other moms that you can turn to and ask for advice and say, what did you do? Can you give mm-hmm. me some tips and tricks? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, like we're capable of doing this and we're capable of raising healthy well-adjusted children (laughs) and I don't think we're told that all the time we're told to rely on this expert and that expert and there's nothing wrong with that but we have to have the wisdom to discern like does that piece of information serve me and my family or my child or does it not and we're capable
0: to make those decisions yeah and I just want to put a spotlight on something you said about experts Mary-Kate and that (laughs) is I think that our culture is obsessed with like idolizing experts and like putting them up on a pedestal or even asking you to be an expert by saying fake it till you make it instead of why don't you be a humble learner and and why isn't it okay to be where you are and to acknowledge what you do and don't know and be open to growing from the spot that you're in and I think that's what you're saying is we're capable and we can learn and we can also not know things and learn as we go and Mm -hmm. so I love that idea, and um, because we have this in our notes, I wanted to ask you guys to share your thoughts about the difference between being authoritarian and authoritative, because I think giving instruction to children is a daily, maybe moment, minute-by-minute occurrence at our house, Mm at least, and I do think there's a huge difference between being authoritative and authoritarian, so let's talk about that.
1: Yeah. I first heard these words in college in some of my elementary education classes. Mm -hmm. And then later, you know, becoming a parent and realizing like, oh, look, it applies here too. Like, this is not just a teaching thing, but also a parenting thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the difference between... You know, I think of when I think of authoritarian, I think of like a dictator, you know, the sense that like, I know best at all times and you come down hard, you know, there's very little flexibility, there's very little grace, whereas when you are authoritative, you know, there is some consistency, there is firmness when necessary, but there's also grace, there's also an understanding Or desire to understand your kids as individuals, who they are, to be warm and loving towards them. You know, they need to know the boundaries and the rules and the expectations, but it's more about teaching and I guess leading, you know, than it Mm -hmm. is about punishing or being the one in charge all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When you said that, I was thinking this brought me right back to my elementary
2: education days. And I remember my (laughs) professor drawing the matrix on the board and I forget the other two, but there was the authoritative and the authority. And I remember all that. I don't remember all the words, but I remember that. And you're Right. right. It's so true. I mean, we are not like I've seen parents not like in my generation, but I've seen parents who take that more like authoritarian approach, you know, where it's like, they have the final word. They have the final say, you can't speak up. And I feel like that just really like puts a wall in the relationship with the child because they're never going to be like, Oh, I feel like they can go to you. And I, I think I can speak for all of us when I say, we want our children to come to us, you know? And I think when you're authoritative, like they know, like they, they have that respect for you, but they also know they can come to you when mm-hmm. they're, hurt or they're or they're you know struggling with something and you know i just think it's a when i think of it i think of like a way to build a healthy relationship with a child and i think of my past work experiences you know having a boss and i think of one moment in particular where i made a big mistake <laughs> in a job and I was able to go to my boss and say I accidentally did this, and she was like, "Okay, well, here's what we're going to do now." You know, it was we had that relationship where I was, I was like, "I have to go and tell her," but there was fear and like, "Oh, you're such a bad employee" or whatever. And I want, our, I want our children, we want our children to feel the same way.
0: All of those are really good thoughts. And as I think about the difference between authoritarian, authoritative, I think that parents just are given messaging from early on, whether we just gather it from media or whatever, um, that we're supposed to be in control of our kids. Like it is about uh, making them do a certain thing. And anybody who has kids knows that you cannot do that, <laughs> that they are um, what, uh, what, what, uh, what, an upcoming guest referenced this term, although we've already recorded it, it will air in a couple of weeks. Um, She called our kids free agents (laughs) where Mm -hmm. they, they are able to choose for themselves what they are and are not going to do. And so that that power struggle, like if we're after control, Mm -hmm. we're probably not going to get it. Um, and if we are trying to get it in that way, it usually comes at the diminishment of the child. It usually comes, you know, where we are, are not listening to what they're saying. We're just expecting, I want obedience now. I want no, you know, response back from you in the form of an attitude, especially. (laughs) And, um, And it just doesn't take into consideration maybe all of the nuances in the communication cycle. On the flip side, I think being authoritative, one of the concerns that I have in homes that I, I have friends who uh, some everyone's on a different part of the spectrum when it comes to authoritative, um, I think there are some that are really authoritative, and their leadership is is good, but maybe a little bit overbearing. Um, and then there are some that are extremely permissive, and their kids are honestly walking all over them. And then they wonder why, why is this so chaotic, and why why can't we get. together it's because their kids are looking for where what is the vision and what is going on here who is in charge and is it safe for me to like or am I in charge and that's sometimes where we get behaviors of them acting out or trying to boss their siblings around we we definitely have some of that that my kids attempt over here. Um, I think being authoritative is, is just empowering our kids to first of all know that they're secure and safe where they are and that we do have a plan or a vision or somewhere that we're headed as a family and, um, that they can get on board with that. Um, I think so one is about maintaining power and one is about empowering our kids to, join us in what we're doing. And so those are the things that I thought of. And I just think it's, it's good to talk about this because the first few years of parenting for me, I felt like I was supposed to be, um, in control of more of the details of what was going on and toddlers are not rational and they do not, you know, but I think that's a good lesson in just learning how to guide and direct and lead them with love as opposed to, just expecting that they're going to figure it out without our help.
1: I think a lot of it comes down to like what we believe about our kids and who they are. You know, we might believe that like, well, I think when you are operating from this kind of authoritative place you recognize that your children, in a lot of ways, you know, that they are deserving of respect, that they have their own needs and their own opinions and their own personalities, as opposed to coming at them and thinking, like, this child has nothing to offer in this relationship because they're little and I'm the adult and I'm in charge. Mm-hmm. And on the other end of the, spec- the spectrum, the very permissive end, there is this sense that, like, they don't need me, like, they're gonna figure it out on. Their own. And I think Mm -hmm. it's always good to, you know, reevaluate some of our thoughts and underlying assumptions that are driving our decisions. For sure.
0: Yeah, well, we're coming to the end of our time, but there's just one last thing that I wanted to bring up before we close. And that is kind of the flip side of maybe being authoritative. And to me, it's really, really important to see leaders have a humble, spirit, to have humility folded in with, you know, their casting vision and their teaching and their leading. And when I do not see humility present in any kind of leader, whether it's a pastor or I find myself just like, okay, I'm going to slowly back away from this and and be a little bit more cautious about, do I want to emulate that style of leadership? If it doesn't have humility there, and then I don't actually, like it's, for me, the number one priority to see humility and leaders. And so, um, I'm just curious what role humility you think plays in motherhood specifically. Oh,
2: that's a, it's like probably the biggest one it plays. I mean, like just from a really like silly practical standpoint, like childbirth humbles you just number one, mm-hmm. right off the bat. Um, like being pushed to like the absolute physical end of yourself or having a really intense surgery and then relying on like, you know, all the, the, the people and things to help you, like, no matter what, like you start off being yeah. humbled <laughs> mm-hmm. and you continue being humbled because I'll just speak for myself. For me, I still feel like such a newbie and I'm like, my oldest is about to turn eight. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm still learning this because I've never raised an eight year old and I will feel that way until she's you know, whatever, 50 probably. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I think for me in a very practical way that I see it play out in our daily life is I have to be willing to apologize to my children all the time because I did not get it right. I lose my temper or I make a decision um, without having all of the pieces of information. And I have to go back and say, you guys, I really made a mistake. Will you forgive me? And I ask them, will you forgive me for this thing I did? And, um, and they will listen to me and, and, you know, I will wait for a response. I will I will wait for them to respond. And they, they usually say yes. They've never said no to me. But they're <laughs> children. But you know what I mean? And and I think that's another thing we could talk about, modeling. But yeah, asking for their forgiveness and saying I am sorry for this mistake I made I and mean, being really specific about it.
0: Yeah, I think that's really important and really good and exactly what I wanted to get at because we can't be perfect. We can't accomplish that. We can't do that. Even if we try every day to be as excellent as possible in all things, there are things that just don't turn out how we wanted them to or we're like on. small amount of sleep and just our grumpies come out. (laughs) And um, so, yeah, I think being able to apologize is really the sign of a good leader because I think um, people who do not apologize well are often not willing to take full responsibility of both where we're headed and what's our vision and this is how I teach you, but also take responsibility for this is what I have done that maybe was not the best choice. And so, again, an issue of responsibility, but um, in a different context.
1: And I'm just thinking about, as we talk, like in motherhood, like in everything in life, I really just want to emulate Jesus and be transformed into His image as much as I can. And He was humble, you know? He was God, but He was so humble. Like no one was ever unimportant to him no one was ever too small or too lowly and he modeled that with his whole life and Mm -hmm. it sounds lofty i guess but it's really so much of what i'm after in in my parenting in part because i want my kids to to emulate christ as well you know and you just can't do it without
0: humility Sure. Well, ladies, this has been a really wonderful conversation. And I'm going to be thinking about some of these ideas more as we close. And just want to thank you for being here.
2: Yeah, thank you both. I always learn so much from you all. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I love these conversations. Thanks, friends.